Well, let's take out our Bibles if you have them today. I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 11. I'm thrilled we're going to be starting a new series called Good Riddance to Bad Religion. The, uh, obviously a play on the old good riddance to bad rubbish there. And uh, it's good. We're going to be distinguishing between bad religion. That's not just redundant. There, you know, there's kind of a popular notion today that all religion's bad. It's all like uh, idolatry or it's all dead religion. Or but the Bible even distinguishes, Scripture distinguishes between bad religion and good religion, true religion. Amen? So we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit. You can experience good religion. It has a place. You can also experience some pretty bad religion, just like you can experience a you know, bad marriage. You can experience bad politics, bad sushi. In fact, a religion is a lot like sushi. When it's good, it's like there's nothing better. And when it's bad, it can kill you, right? We're going to hear what Jesus has to say specifically about hypocrisy in the church. So if you're a guest with us today, maybe, you don't, maybe you're not like a Christian. You're just sort of checking out Jesus. You're in a great place because I'm not going to be stepping on your toes at all. This is, this is to the, the Christians here. We, we got to wear our steel-toed boots here, what Jesus is going to say to us. He wants to reveal the inner Pharisee that's hiding within us. Um, so this will probably last us through till uh, Thanksgiving or so. Jesus in the Bible utters these seven woes to the religious leaders of a day. And this is woe as in W-O-E, as in things aren't looking good. Not woe like Keanu Reeves sees a sunrise. Whoa, that's, we want to be right up front and make that perfectly clear. Um, what woe we're talking about here. Now we're going to read two accounts this morning of something that Jesus says these parallel passages and see what to make of it all. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 11. Here we go. We're in verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee invited him to dine with him. This is quite an honor. You get invited to the Pharisee's house and the Pharisees were pretty wealthy and so he went in and he took his place right there at the table. Now back then the tables would have been when you went to dinner, low table and like a low couch, really. You would have been laying down, kind of like leaning on one elbow here. And you just kind of reach over and eat that way. So you're kind of laying down, you're, prop, you're propped up. And uh, it says that the Pharisee was amazed. And actually the word here, amazed, is, is the word for offended. He, he wasn't just like, oh, cool. He was offended, shocked to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. Now, there's something else going on here. It's not just what, what we mean by wash. It's not just do gross. He didn't wash his hands, you know, or something like that. Um, it's something much more complicated that this religious leader assumed that Jesus ought to do that Jesus simply doesn't do. He skips it all together, and, and the religious leader is seriously vexed by all this. We're going to see why. In verse 39, it says, Then the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees, remember he just got invited to dinner here. You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. That awkward moment when you invite Jesus to dinner and he calls you a fool. It's like, I'm paying for this, Jesus. I heard you were like all sweet and like playing with kids and stuff. Here you are. So now, these Pharisees, are, these are the religious leaders. These are very wise, learned people. These are no slackers. These guys, uh, they strive to be holy. Um, they are the religious authorities of the day. Um, they're supposed to provide the spiritual example for the people. That's the way they viewed their lives. And instead, 
He calls them just a bunch of hypocrites. The, the way they're acting, there's something about the way they're acting, they're living their lives, it makes Jesus furious. He's not holding back. What we're going to see over the next few weeks is that as we work through these woes, this is not kind of the polite, airbrushed, sweet Jesus with the feathered hair that we sometimes, you know, imagine Jesus to be like holding a puppy in one arm and a kid in another. This is a different, this, this, this is cranked up Jesus, right? Something has seriously ticked him off. You fools. And, and by the way, fool in the Hebrew, some of you know this, that Hebrew, this is a deep, powerful accusation here. Um, he's not just saying, you silly gooses. No, no, no. He is, this, a fool in, in that culture was basically somebody who ignores reality, ignores and denies God by their actions. They would be called a fool. The, the word for it was this word aphron in the Greek. Aphron, a meaning without, and fron meaning intellect. So like aphron, without, it was the height of an insult. Um, it's not something you would just, you wouldn't even say this to a guy on the street, much less kind of a respected religious leader, right? You aphrons, it sounds a little dangerous, right? When you say it. Uh, with you people without understanding, you blind Pharisees, you fools, you don't get it. And then he says, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? Which is kind of an interesting statement. We'll talk about that more in our home life groups this week. Um, but there's something here. There's some sort of tradition, the ritual these religious leaders see as very, very important. And Jesus just blows it off. Um, and then he denounces them for it. You know what your problem is? He says, you got this whole thing you invented around the cup, but you're actually full of greed and wickedness. By the way, don't you just love how unafraid Jesus is to, to speak? He'll speak truth to power, right? He's unafraid. He will comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. You know, I love that about Jesus. He, he, he goes in, he goes, zeroes in right what it, what it is we need, uh, we, we need to hear now, there's a couple of different places these woes are recorded. There's here in Luke 11. And then there's a slightly different version over in Matthew 23. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn over there to Matthew chapter 23. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be bouncing back and forth between these two accounts. Oftentimes, what we see is that Jesus would say something and he would, uh, he would either he said them on different occasions, so they were recorded multiple times, or the different writers uh, recorded the same occasion, but kind of put their own, spin their own perspective, whatever struck them as more consequential or whatever. And so uh, some, very often we get a better perspective when we read all the Gospels. We kind of get a complete picture of what Jesus is saying. So Matthew 23 is one of these, what we call a parallel passage. So let's read Matthew's version. Chapter 23, he's in verse 25. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. There it is. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. So Luke's account, if you remember, it mentions their greed and wickedness here. It's greed, self-indulgence. And he declares, woe to you. Woe. Being, uh, the woe was this, this uh, warning. It was a dire, uh, serious finger-pointing warning where he is, he's going off on these guys. You blind Pharisee. Again, how to win friends and influence people, right? When you're invited over. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup so that the outside also may become clean. So once again, there's this, some sort of landmine here that Jesus has stepped on. This cultural thing that Jesus just doesn't 
pay attention to, the Pharisees consider very important. It arouses all their indignation, uh, and, and that in turn arouses Jesus's indignation, and he launches into this rant, woe to you. So what's happening here? Let's look. Jesus has stepped into uh, a religious dispute of the day. Uh, now, in those days, religious people would get into these very passionate argumentative debates about the finer points of, of religion, very minute details around religious matters, and they'd, sometimes they would end up splitting over things that ultimately really didn't matter. Very, very different from our day. We, we hardly can understand what that would be like, but um, that's what's happening here. His day was so different. Now, why was this a big deal? In Jesus' day, there uh, were religious movements among the, the Jewish people. There were the liberal progressives, you could call them. You, there were the conservative traditionalists. Um, again, much different than our day. Um, but what does Jesus do? He does what he always does. He goes, he, he picks a third way, right? Jesus, he always goes third way, right? When people are trying to pin him down on something. So let's try to understand what this landmine is. First of all, in the Jewish world of Jesus' day, uh, every single tiny facet of life, everything, every, every part of life was infused with spiritual significance. There were rules and rituals and requirements uh, that governed every single moment of your day, everything, every action you took from the very first words you were to speak when your feet hit the floor after getting up in the morning, to the food that you ate, to how you ate the food, to what you wear, to what the fabrics you were wearing could be made out of, uh, your clothes, how you conduct business, your money, your sexuality, your, uh, how you butcher an animal, um, how you farm, how you harvest, uh, how you treat and the words you use to your neighbor, your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents, uh, everybody, your guest in your home, how you removed your shoes when you went into a home, how you trim your beard and style your hair. Everything was governed by these rules. Why? Well, because central to the, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible there, uh, is this central to being a child of God is this understanding that all of life is sacred. All of life. Everything had significance. Everything you did. All of life was lived in the presence of God. And, and it, everything you did was in it. You were an embodiment. You walked around, even to the market or to school or wherever it is, but you were the embodiment of God's favor and his blessing. And other people would see that on you. Uh, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, you know, was the scripture. And if, we've talked about this before. Even the Hebrew word for spiritual, it's just the word for breath, right? And so literally just every, your very breathing is this fundamentally spiritual act Every, every breath is like a reminder of the divine presence of the one who gives you one breath after another, after another. And so they would say things like in Deuteronomy uh, that, you know, to teach your children as you're walking down the road, not just at church on Sunday, but teach your children all week long as you walk down the road, as you do the things you do. Some of the Jewish people, the men would, would wear scriptures in a little box on their head, and they still do that today. Some of the tribes there in uh, the sects there in Israel today, and they, would, they wrapped their wrists and hands in this reminder, these little leather straps to remind them of the presence of God, the ever-present uh, just glory of God all around them, all around them. Um, so, so this is the idea that God is not just contained in the walls of the church or the synagogue. He is out there, right? He's loose. He is out into the world. Have you ever, 
had that up, you know, that time where you were just gazing at a, a lake or a pond or a, a mountain or a, even stared at a really beautiful painting for a long time or something like that, and you just got lost into it. And that realization just kind of hits you. Here too is God present, right? Right now, he is present in this too. He's right here. And that sudden awareness that you're surrounded by this world that is created and sustained by God, inhabited by his presence in every crevice. So central to growing in our faith today is our, our walk with Christ is, is this understanding that this profound fact that all of life is lived as a spiritual being. You are a spiritual being. Amen? Amen? There isn't religious life over here and, and then normal life over here because all of life is sacred. All of your life is sacred. When we, when we clue into that, we all, one of the things we do is we stop sitting around waiting for those spiritual goosebump moments to inspire us, right? Because we start to become aware of the presence of God all around us, even during the most mundane of actions that we're doing, washing the dishes or whatever it is, we're aware of the presence of God. Even here, God is, right? Because of this, for the Jewish people, one of the most important spaces of your day was at mealtime, getting around the table. For a good Jew, the meal was, was someplace where you encountered in a very tangible form uh, the reality of the sacred. The meal was special, right? Can you say fajitas? Right? <laughs> I mean, is there any more sacred food than the fajita? Oh, Mama Nenta, thank you. Thank you so much for delivering that to the human race. Uh, you know, this is a beautiful thing. In fact, in a Jewish home, the table was called an altar. That was the altar because that's where you would come. You would gather with friends and your family and food. You know, you think about food comes from the earth. Uh, the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, right? And so food sustains you literally. You don't eat it, you die. Uh, and, and they saw food itself as this miracle of creation. You know, they didn't exactly know how it works, but it works. It's played out season after season, you know, from seed to plant to on our plate to putting it in our bodies. It's nourishment. And it was just another reminder that all of life is sacred. All of life is sacred. But now what happens? Because we're human beings, we tend to have these little foibles. Religion can step in. Religion steps in. It's trying its best. It's trying to help. It's trying to bridge that gap between the physical and the mysterious. And, and what, what happens is religion says, well, we ought to be very careful about how we approach this meal. We should do it as respectful as possible. And so over time, the ways in which you prepared the meal, the ways you washed your hands for the meal, the prayers that you said as you prepared the meal, then the ways in which it was served, the ways it was prepared to eat the meal. So there's this ritual for the cup and there's a ritual for the bowl and there's a ritual for the dish and they're all cleaned already. You know, they, they cleaned their dishes before the meal, but then they come to the table and they got to be like cleaned again in the right ritualistic way. Well, what about the way in which you clean the cup? Um, and how much of the cup do you clean? Do you have to clean the whole thing? What about the bottom? You know, what, it, it's almost like watching OCD grow on a, on a national scale. Uh, it's is, is kind of like reading some of the parts of the Old Testament. Um, and so what, over, over time, what happens is, is uh, added on to this beautiful, simple truth that all of life is sacred and food is central to life and God gives us these blessings. Added upon that are layer upon layer, layer upon layer of religious ritual, religious ritual that you would go through before you ate the meal. So eventually the central truth 
gets lost. The beauty and the mystery gets lost. The things that were supposed to remind you of the beauty and the transcendence of, you know, God's presence, those things are lost in legalism and rules, and the supernatural becomes superstition. And that is something that happens today, right? The supernatural becoming superstition, once again. Uh, so, so people back then, what happens, well, they started dividing into these two camps. Like I said, there were, there were uh, these two interesting camps that uh, existed back in the day. You had uh, one school called uh, the Hallelites, and they argued quite passionately um, that if you clean the inside of the cup, well, the whole cup is clean. You don't need to do the rest of it. Another group were the Shamites, and they said, oh, no, 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 no. For the, for the cup to be clean, you have to clean the inside and the outside, and you have to go through two very distinct rituals. Uh, one ritual helps you clean the inside properly, and then one ritual helps you clean the outside. So when you sit down with these groups, before you ever got to the, you know, chips and salsa, which is what you were there for, uh, you had to go through this, the washing of this, and the prayer over that, and the washing of this, and the prayer over that, and you'd go through this never-ending long thing. Nowhere found, by the way, in Scripture. This is not in Scripture. It's simply added over the years, traditions added over the years. So by the time you actually got to the food, you were like, dude, I'm not even hungry. I need a nap. I'm tired. I'm weak. Um, and here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus, the creator of everything that's on the plate in front of him, right? And uh, he charges in and he doesn't do any of the ritual washings. <gasps> right? Now, for a Pharisee, this is highly offensive, right? Jesus, you are re rejecting all of these endless rules that we have built up. And instead of, of backing down or trying to explain uh, his actions or even weighing in on which of the two schools, uh, you know, he belonged to, was he part of the, you know, traditional conservatives or sort of the progressive liberals or whatever, you know, he, what he does is he totally turns it on them. He turns it on me. He says, you know what your problem is? I'll tell you, woe to you. He says, you make all this effort to clean the cup, and you define your righteousness by how well you're keeping the cup ritual. That's how you define your righteousness, how well you follow these rituals. And then he spins it, and he makes the cup about their own soul. But your cup is filled with greed and self-indulgence and wickedness. You religious people have become so obsessed with how things look on the outside, in the minutia of these rituals, your insides are just filled with all sorts of garbage. And Jesus says, this is hypocrisy. This is, this is bad religion gone amok. He calls them foolish, blind. And, he, and he's reminding them, right, that these are the religious leaders that are, how are he's saying, how are you ever going to lead the people into the kingdom life of God when you're so obsessed with your rituals and your outer Appearances that your insides are filthy. Now, uh, real quickly, I want to look at some of, a couple of the actual words uh, Jesus uses here. Uh, we'll get at the larger themes that he's going for us here. Um, if you're new with us today, this is a very smart crowd. They're really into Greek, and so uh, so here when he talks to, when he calls them hypocrites, uh, it's this. The Greek word is hypokritai, and uh, just like it sounds. But a hypocrite back then was interesting. It was somebody who. Uh, pretended or impersonated uh, someone like an actor does. And in the Greek theater, you might have seen pictures where they'd be on the stage doing these big theatrical productions, and they would wear big, enormous masks to show the people in the back what they're 
character was or what their emotion was. So if they were happy, they would do this. And suddenly if something happened, they were sad, they'd throw that down and put up a sad mask. And so you could see, and that was Hippocrates. That was one of the masked ones. It was an actor. Um, uh, and so they would play a part or play an emotion. So when Jesus says, you hypocrites, he's saying you act, you pretend, you put on this false front so that people will think you're one way and you have it all together, but you're actually something else. And you're, you're like an actor on a stage. Then Jesus uses the word for greed. It's this word harpazo, harpazo, and it means to seize with force. You use greed. It's to take something forcefully. You're never content. You're always having to have more. Uh, it could be used for robbery, just out and out robbery from someone else. But other times it's just an unquenchable thirst for more. You have to have it. You have to have the latest one. The, you know, the 13.2 just came out. So I got to have that one, right? Or whatever it is. You see it and you take it and it's making you miserable and it's probably making everybody around you miserable as well. And then when he says your cup is filled with self-indulgence, it's this word akrates, akrates, and it means without strength or self-control. Um, essentially, it means you're unable to govern your, your urges, your longings, your addictions, your destructive habits. And so you're, it's actually like impotent or weak. You, you can't stop your, your urges uh, that you have. And so a person can't control and they would fall every time. So Jesus is saying, your problem, you know what your problem is, guys? He says, you're, you act like everything's fine. You're wearing the nice robes. You're doing all this stuff. You're doing the pretty cleaning of the cup. You're like all polished and clean on the outside. But the truth is you're all talk. Inside, your lives are unmanageable. Now, what does Jesus say to do about this? Because remember, we're not here just for history lesson. We're here to say, well, Jesus, what are you saying to me, right? It's, it's easy. I have to remind myself, you know, when we read the scriptures, we like to sit on the side of Jesus and go, yeah, give it to him, Jesus. But we're actually the ones he's given it to, right? So we're the, hip, we're, we're the Pharisee. So Jesus, what are you telling me? What are you talking to me about? Let's turn back over to Luke 11 for a second because he adds an interesting thing to Luke 11. So these people are filled with greed and wickedness. Now look at them. It's such an odd solution that Jesus gives them for their problem. In verse 41, he says, But now, for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. That's a really odd thing to say, kind of to me. I expect Jesus to say, you know, you guys are all messed up on the inside, so repent. Right? Confess your sins, pray a prayer, get your theology right, your doctrine right, your thinking right. But what Jesus says here is surprising. He says you're filled with this spiritual gunk. Here's what you need to do. Be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Now, why does he say this to these people? He doesn't tell this to everybody, but in this occasion, what is he doing? Many of these people that Jesus is speaking to had tremendous means. They were people of wealth. The Pharisees were usually doing all right. Um, many of these guys were at the upper rung of culture. They were respected. They had plenty of food. They had enough to take in uh, Jesus and his disciples and enough to invite him to come recline and share bowls of food. At the same time, people all around them are going hungry. We've talked before about this day and age. This is just just a plague of poverty all over the land. And so Jesus addresses the people who have plenty. And in this context, he says, you have so much because you have neglected those who don't have enough. Or in the worst cases, you've even seized from those who don't have enough. 
right? So the reason your cup is filled with greed and self-indulgence, you take and you take and you take and you have way more than enough. And so his solution to them isn't just think nice thoughts, you know, repent and do some. It's, it's to be generous to those who don't have enough. He's saying, and then you'll experience true purity. You'll experience that true cleanliness in your cup, right? So in this setting, Jesus is telling him, there is something you can do here to change the path you're on. I find this interesting because it's a good reminder for us that in this case, him telling them to keep the inside of the cup clean is not just what some of us might would think. It's not just think more pure thoughts. That's not what Jesus considers keeping the inside of the cup clean. Rather, Jesus keeps insisting it's not just the thoughts you think or the rituals you keep that mark you as a child of God, right? It's but what you do, how you treat others matters. How we treat people matters to God. How well you love others matters, right? Not just that we find ourselves in the right camp, going through the right motions, saying the right things. How we treat the other matters. Not just what we claim to be, but through our everyday actions, we can actually start to become the person that we're pretending to be through our everyday actions. So let's, uh, let's shift gears here for a second um, as we finish up. What does this mean for us today? We want to ask, what does this mean? Jesus takes this idea of the cup and he turns it into sort of, of metaphor for the human being to say there's an inside to each of us. There's an inside to each of us. There's the part that nobody sees the motivation for our actions. There are our thoughts. There's our past. Things we're proud of, things we're ashamed of, our intentions, our longings, our lusts, our habits, our addictions, even those destructive patterns that we get into. There's an inside to a human being. And then there's what everybody else sees. There's the outside. And his fundamental woe here is you Pharisees are split. You're split. You show the world an outside that is inconsistent with the inside. You say one thing, but you do another. And his central complaint to uh, especially the Shamites here was, was that you guys clean the cup, you clean the inside, and, and then you have a different ritual for cleaning the outside. Uh, you treat the inside and the outside as if they were two different dimensions to the cup. And what Jesus is essentially arguing here is there is one cup. It's all one cup. The inside and the outside are integrated, right? They're part of the same cup. There is, for us, there is just life. There is life, not the part of the day that I give to God, then the part of the day that I keep for myself. Not the spiritual churchy stuff that we're doing right now, and then the secular human stuff that we get to do for the rest of the week. God doesn't see it that way. It's all 
life. It's all the life He's given you, and it all belongs to God. It's all one cup, and your life is sacred, and God is present in everything that you do, from the coming to church, to the listening, to a podcast, to your prayer time, to your Bible reading time, to your meal time, to your going to work and sitting in traffic and taking the kids to school. It's all sacred. It's all part of the life that God has given you. Here's another way we might put it. Jesus calls us to live an undivided life. To live an undivided life. Do you have things inside that nobody knows about? Some kind of darkness, some kind of pain, wounds, maybe a lack of forgiveness, secrets, lies, destructive ideas you've absorbed and you've you've just come to believe. What's on the inside of the cup? We live in this culture that says it's all about the outside of the cup, right? That's what we put on social media is the outside of our cup. And if you look right, you talk right, uh, you act right, you must be all right, right? And I would argue the church is just as guilty as anybody, those of us inside the church. If you're a Christian, we, you know, just make sure you get the outside right, right? And if your outside's not right, it just makes us all really uncomfortable, <laughs> right? So please get the outside right so we can all feel a little more comfortable around you. That's, that's kind of the message we often, we don't mean to send it, but we often do. Use all the right Christian language, belong to the right party, listen to the right Christian music, wear the right clothes, keep up the proper appearances, That's all that really matters. And this is what gets Jesus cranked up. We're going to see this over the next few weeks. He's not done. This this attitude of the Pharisees, that's like, if we just get the outside right, everything would start going well for us, right? We, We could take back Israel for God. That was their goal, you know? If we just all would get our outside right, Uh, And we don't have to worry about actually living and, you know, loving others or living an authentic, uh, honest community with other people. Jesus attacks this with a vengeance. It's, It's contrary to living an integrated life in Christ, which is what he desires for us. Jesus says you need to deal with what's going on inside you and the outside appearances will take care of itself. Are there ways here this morning that we've put on a mask a facade, and we've held up this sort of shiny, happy picture to folks. We've let everybody see the outside of our cup, but the inside is full of of all sorts of things that we don't want anybody to know about. A sad consequence of this sort of culture, this religious culture too, is those who don't have it all together and can't hide it don't feel welcome. They don't feel welcome to come get healed because they can't even put on a false front, right? The central invitation of Jesus here is to live the undivided life. How? A few things. First, surrender to the God who's all around you. Just surrender that God is all around you. He lives within you. You are the one whose image, he's the one whose image you bear, right? And you can't escape him anyway. You can't outrun God. So why not Stop trying to carve out little bubbles of life uh, apart from him and allow God to just infuse it all. Let him into all the areas of your life. Let his presence in. He doesn't just want a piece of your life. He wants all of your life. Now, does that mean you have to come to church seven days a week and, you know, camp out outside till they open the doors? No, that doesn't mean that at all. It means realizing that God is present with you. 
wherever you're doing, whatever you're doing, whether you're here serving the body of Christ, uh, you know, in some volunteer capacity, or you're sitting in IHOP feeding your face, wherever you're at, God is there. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So just surrender to the God who's all with, with you all day long anyway. Second, how do we live the undivided life? By refusing to ever again wear a mask. That's easier said than done. But just refuse the mask. Just throw them all out. Refuse to ever wear the mask. Jesus says strong words. Hypocrite. I don't, I've never met a person who enjoys being called a hypocrite, right? That's never a good thing. I had a friend growing up, a guy I went to college with, and, and uh, one time I asked him years ago, I was like, why don't you go to church anymore? He was like, well, the churches are full of hypocrites. That's why I don't go. I was like, well, I can't argue there, but Jesus didn't say, you know, you're a bunch of hypocrites, so stop going to church. He just said, stop being a hypocrite, <laughs> right? So, so have you ever found yourself just saying, I'm so tired of acting? It takes a lot of energy, doesn't it? Keeping up the, the front, pretending. If you feel that way, that is the Holy Spirit nudging you towards truth, telling you that maybe you're living a divided life and you can deal with that today. Third, how do we, how do we live this undivided life? If you're somebody who, if you were honest with yourself, says, I got a good bit of greed going on inside me. A restless longing for more and more and more. I, I can't seem to just be satisfied. Um, and so you get that one thing, but you just want more. You just want the next thing. Um, and, and it's consuming you. It's making you miserable. Jesus uses the phrase self-indulgence, right? That lack of control. I, I just feel powerless to stop this, this craving, the appetites, the longings that you seem unable to control. Today, we need to be honest about those things. It starts with just being honest about these things, right? And we're not going to call you to stand up and tell us your sins. But it's being honest about it first right now, just right now with, between you and the Lord. The invitation from Christ to each and every one of us, the cure to greed, he says, is generosity. Generosity specifically to the poor. Generosity toward the poor, the underprivileged. Generosity to the stranger, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the, the one who's out of work, the single parent. Generosity. And, and for sure, generosity with our money, but also just generosity of spirit. Right? This is something oh, we could so use in the American church today. A generosity of spirit. Right? Patience toward people who try your patience. Mercy toward people who need mercy as you once needed mercy, right? Pouring, be instrument of mercy and grace. Because our God is the good heavenly father. He's a good father. He, you know, he's never short of mercy. He never runs out, right? Like the song we just sang, he's new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Every morning his mercy is new. Every single morning. He's never short of it. He's never short of grace for those who will just humble themselves enough to fall into his arms. To just say, ah, yeah, I need it. I need it again. I need it again, Lord. Even to these Pharisees, you know, as much as Jesus goes off on them, and it's kind of fun watching him, Jesus lay into these Pharisees for their hypocrisy. You know, he never once tells them that they're lost causes. He never tells a Pharisee, you're a lost cause. He never turns them away, any of them who come to repent or to truly receive, right? Like Nicodemus, we looked at that one Pharisee who came. He never turns them away. 
No, no, no. He always gives. He's always ready to reveal a path that'll lead them back into fellowship with the Father. That's his craving. That's his craving for you and for me. He wants to show us that next right step to lead us into fellowship with the Father. And, And for those of us who are willing to take that step of repentance, really, you know, repentance just means turning to a new direction, right? Turning around, turning, it's that confession, being honest, pointing ourselves toward Jesus, and, uh, and where there's always mercy, right? We can know there's always mercy there at the cross. We can always go, we're not doomed to woe. When he gives these woes, it's not, you're doomed to this. This is the last word. No matter what we've done or how, how big of a Pharisee there is living inside us, he's always ready to shine the light in and help get that Pharisee out. Amen? Amen. Amen. He's so good. He's so good. Well, there was a meal that Jesus had once with his friends, and he talked about a different sort of cup, and that was the cup of communion. And we're going to do that right now. If you have your elements, uh, you can get those things ready. If you don't, if you didn't get a uh, communion cup when you walked in. Uh, there's some over here on the table over here. I believe there might be some towards the back somewhere. Um, if you're watching by live stream at home, join us. Just grab a cracker and some juice or whatever you got there. Uh, you can take that with us. Notice that when Jesus took communion with his disciples, his friends, he said, this is my body and blood. And he didn't lay down a whole bunch of rules. If you go and read the account, he kind of really didn't lay down any rules. There wasn't any real big ritual, he said, to do. All he said, we've invented a whole lot of rules around communion, right? A lot of rituals. We like ritual. All he said was take and drink. Take and drink. Take and eat. This is my body. This is my blood. And in this act of communion, we, we invite Jesus himself to enter into this vessel, to our vessel, to be Lord of our lives, inhabit us fully. And he comes in and he cleans the inside of our cup. Oh, praise you, Jesus. Communion is when we say, God, thank you that in Christ I have been set free. Not through anything I've done, not because I've been so perfect this week or anything. But I've been set free because I'm loved and I'm valued just as I am. And what's so beautiful is he values you. He loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you don't just leave me the same way I am. And communion is in a time of despair, right? God's not beating you up saying, look at all the ways that you failed. You know, it's not God saying, look what I did for you and you don't care about it at all. No, no, no. God is saying, look at the victory I've already won for you. I've already won your victory. You're not a slave. Your brain might be telling you that you're a slave to this thing. You're not. You've been set free. Just walk in it. Just take that step. Just trust me with it. That's what the Lord says. I've already won the victory for you. Just open up and let me in. Let me bring life to the inside of the cup so it can overflow onto the outside. And that grace and that mercy can overflow to everybody we meet. Amen. If you've never trusted in Christ before, there's no better time than this very moment right here where we're sitting, holding these things to say, Jesus, I turn my life over to you. 
I'm going to trust you. Come inside, Lord. I don't got it all figured out. I'm definitely not perfect, but just come inside. Be my Savior. Walk with me. Teach me. And let me just follow wherever it is you lead. Amen. Let's bow our heads. We'll pray and then we'll take this together. Hallelujah. Father God. I thank you, Lord, so much for these strong, powerful words of Jesus uh, that we read today. And we see in in his words, we see our deepest longing, Lord, to, to live that undivided life. Lord God, I'm thinking of marriages today, of people who are going through the motions, just pretending like things are fine and it's not working. It's unmanageable. So we need to be honest about that, Lord. God, we ask for, for those here today who are struggling with self-destructive behavior, Lord God, maybe even suicidal thoughts or addictions or drugs or alcohol. God, we ask for, for those who have maybe lost a loved one. Lord God, we ask for those who have experienced the death of a relationship in our brokenness and in our weakness, Lord God, we need desperately your strength. We depend on you. Hallelujah. And God, we thank you that your spirit is always moving and your spirit loves us enough to convict us now of the ways that we're living that are just wrong. It's sin, it's destructive, and we're just ready to admit it now, to acknowledge it. Father, we confess all of the ugly things we don't want to say out loud. We, a lack of forgiveness toward other people, a, a tribalism, racism, all the endless ways in which our heart gets turned against people. We confess that. And we want the peace that you've made with us through Christ to be extended to other people, Lord God. Let it flow from us to others. We want to be clean on the inside, Lord, as well as the outside. So, Lord, we just continue to speak to us what we need to hear. We ask you, God, to meet us with your love, with your grace, with your healing. All the places that are filled with darkness, Lord, shine your light. In all those places we feel like a slave, bring liberation, Lord God. In those places we feel despair, bring hope, Lord. In our brokenness, we cling to, to Christ's broken body and his blood poured out. We ask you in our own brokenness and being poured out so that you will meet us and heal us. And in that, we take this bread and this cup in remembrance of what you did for us, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Here we go. The body of Christ broken for you. Let's take the bread. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your healing in our bodies, Lord. Healing in our minds, in our relationships, in our emotions, Lord. Thank you, Father. The blood of Christ shed for you. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins. You have made us into new creatures today. We praise you for that, Lord Jesus. We praise you for that, Lord Jesus. Give the Lord a praise offering this morning because he's so good. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Amen. Well, <clears throat> our prayer partners, you guys can come down front now. If you're here today and there's anything that you need prayer about, something going on in your life, you need someone, you just need another brother or sister in Christ to just stand with you in prayer. You don't want to go through this thing alone. Don't suffer in silence. Don't suffer by yourself. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. That's what scripture tells us. Come forward. Let these guys pray for you in faith. If, you're, um, if you want to send us a prayer request electronically, there's a lot of different ways to do that too. We've got a whole prayer chain of people who love, <clears throat> sorry, who love to pray with you about whatever's going on in your life. And uh, these are awesome people of faith. They will pray with you. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Will you stand to your feet with me this morning? Let me bless you. In, a, in just a few minutes, we're going to have the honor of baptizing some folks. And so that is going to be so exciting, so fun. Just one of our very most awesome favorite things to do. It'll be happening right over here. You're welcome to stay and uh, watch these guys and cheer them on as they get water baptized. Uh, if not, uh, I want, hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day and a wonderful week. Uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance upon you and grant you his mercy in this day that we're living in. Grace and peace be with you guys. Bye-bye.